flirted one time with the idea of doing an episode called Things My Grandfather Said. Like, tough and dumb are the same thing, just spelled different. Or why the only reason tough and dumb aren't on the same page of the dictionary is because they're spelled different. And I thought about a lot of these things and a lot of these sayings he said. And a lot of the lessons he taught me. Things that really molded who I am. And I don't remember exactly how he said them. I don't know if that's a result of how my brain works, a symptom of time, uh, a symptom of desired message. I don't, I don't know. So I can't tell them to you verbatim. But I remember them. The lesson. See, the lesson was totally unmistakable once you took the time to listen. So even though it had been said different, it's still the same lesson. I was real young. And there was a guy come down the store all the time. And they called him Inward Dave. And actually, they actually used the word, obviously. It would be a really long nickname otherwise. He called himself that. He referred to himself as that. We weren't allowed to say that. My dad didn't allow us to say that word. So we, you know, we didn't call him that. We called him Dave. And actually, my brother, he was in a car wash one day washing his vehicle. I mean, I'm talking young. I'm talking I was nine, so my brother might have been six. And my brother said something to him and called him Dave. And he said, son, don't you know they call me N-word Dave? And I told him, I said, well, we don't because we're not allowed to. Uh, the thought had never crossed my mind. And at eight, nine, whatever I was, that's a plane going over. That's what you get on Talk Junkie that you don't get on here at your bubblegum. Um, with, at that young age, my God, it's, it was just a word. It's just something I'd heard. Well, my grandfather owned a hardware store, and there were old men in and out all the time. All the time. There was a local, there was a pool hall there, you know. There was a lot of, uh, interaction with a lot of older people. And by the time I was 10, 11, I heard that word a lot more. And sadly, at first, in a, in a joking manner, you know, and, and it, so I didn't put any real strong negative connection to it. Then, as you get older, people sometimes will say things around you they wouldn't say when you were younger. And then you hear that negative connotation. And I don't remember the exact sequence of events, but there's three things that stuck out pretty prominently to me. 
one was a friend's father saying the word and using it pretty prolifically and in a negative manner. Then a friend and a relative that were close to the same age, uh, as a friend and a cousin, saying the word with a definite negative connotation. And then with those two events, noticing the word more. And so I asked my grandpa about this word. We had a long talk that evening. And he addressed two things. One is my sudden acknowledgement and noticing of the word. Had it always been as frequent? Was it not as frequently used or was it barely used? And because I didn't, and this is not his exact words, he's an old country, but basically because I wasn't acclimated to the word and familiar to the word that it was almost foreign to me. So in hearing it, it in a way kind of amplified in my mind how many times I'd heard it. And we talked briefly about that. And I do see some some great logic in that. And I would say that was fairly accurate. But with the two younger people, the friend and the cousin, I think the word um, was new to them. And they knew it was a no-no. But family-wise, there wasn't any repercussions for saying it like there was for me. And, and a lot of people, including myself, said it when we were younger. I, I, I know people that deny it and say they didn't. When I know that they did, I've heard it come from their mouth. I said it, and I, I find nothing but shame in it. Uh, I've said it amongst African-American people in a joking manner. That's, I, I said it out of context, though, as a, as a kid. And, and, and should not have in that context in no way, shape, or form. But I don't know at that time that I knew it was bad or that I knew how bad it was. But you know, I asked my grandpa, I said, how, what, where, where does this come from? You know, basically, what, what's the point in this, because I understood by this age, I, I you know I knew about slavery, and I just I didn't understand why it was still relevant. And and to some people, I've I've had this discussion, this same discussion with people since then, and 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 given that sentiment, and been treated as though I'm ignorant. Well, obviously you should see. No, I didn't then and I don't now. I don't see how. No, 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 that's that's an error. I don't see why it is what it is. But at that time, I didn't see how as well. You know, slavery was over. Segregation was over. I didn't know about Jim Crow laws and things of that nature at that time. I didn't know a lot of the real horror story. I knew that pretty clean version of slavery you learn in school. At least in a white school in a rural area. I knew that version of slavery. 
And although unpleasant, not nearly as vile and venomous as it really was. So I asked my grandpa, I said, why, why does, you know, basically, what, what perpetuates this? I'm sure I didn't use that word at that time, but what, what, what's, what causes this to be a consistent thing? And he told me one thing that has stuck with me ever since then. I, I won't sugarcoat for you what some people do. I, I lived in eastern Kentucky. I live in eastern Kentucky. Did African Americans in eastern Kentucky and white people in eastern Kentucky get along when I was younger? Yes, most definitely. Did these black miners have the respect of these white miners? Most definitely. Most of the white people I knew considered the black people in their area, in their region, in their minds to be different than other black people. Yeah, they're black, but they're, they're the good blacks. So, even though they were very accepting and, and, and loving, of the, and I know it hadn't been that way forever, I know they definitely, African Americans in Eastern Kentucky definitely faced racism, because there were some people that just weren't that way, even with the local population, but there was a lot of that, but still, even with ones who, who would make what they thought were these, uh, you know, great statements on their part that, yeah, they ain't like the rest of them. But even with those people, there were a lot of racist statements made. So I noticed this, but I'd never seen negative action by one race or the other uh, against the other physically. And I never heard negative things said by African Americans about white members of the community. Not at all. I did later on in life, but not, not at that time, not then. So I was troubled at why this continued to go on and why the good people on both sides just didn't get together and say, hey, no. And my grandpa told me that from living out of Kentucky, back, you know, even when, because to me, at that time, as a white kid in eastern Kentucky in the late 80s, racism and slavery had been over forever. I didn't understand the complexities of the 60s. I didn't understand the complexity of the situation in general. It was ignorance, ignorance on my part. So he explained a lot of that to me. But the biggest thing he got to and the lesson that stuck out to me all the things we discussed over time that really I found to be the most useful in my life. As he told me, you know, you'll find the most hatred for whites than populations of poor blacks. And you'll find the most hatred for blacks and populations of poor whites. And the, the Jews just get it from both sides. And I said, well, that doesn't make sense. And he said, well, there's a lot of poor blacks. But they're not the, the biggest majority. 
And he said, there's a lot of poor whites. They may not be the biggest majority. And the poor blacks, they're fighting against them poor whites. In the streets, in the courthouses, everywhere. And them poor whites are fighting against them poor blacks. And he said, poor whites will vote one way. And poor blacks, they'll vote the other way. And middle class whites, they'll vote one way. Middle class blacks, they'll vote one way. He said, and hippies, they'll vote one way. And this is when Pedro from the real world hadn't made it into our lexicon yet. And he said, so, and that's important for what I'm going to say in a little bit. So at this time, to him, his mind, if you kept the poor blacks and the poor whites separate, they couldn't do anything to change the fact that they were poor, that they were less than, that they were treated dif differently. And I believe he was right, that it was a purposeful thing. That racism existed in the poorest of populations. And at the end of the day, rich white people were hurting poor black people. And at the end of the day, rich white people were hurting poor white people by telling them, you're the same as us. And I believe that. I still believe that. Then gay becomes a bigger deal in America than it is now. And myself went through times of religious involvement and being somewhat fanatical to where I was afraid of gays. I guess afraid of dicks, afraid of like tricks or something. If you started, you just couldn't stop. I don't know. But my grandpa told me something one day. We were watching a TV show. I don't remember what it was. It was a black guy, maybe two. Either way, something had been said about a, a gay guy. And I said, you know, I think black people hate gays worse than preachers do. That was pretty close to my exact words. It was an observation I had seen. Because I'd seen a lot of local preachers that in my mind, despite their vocation and their supposed beliefs, hated gay people. I still see those. But man, black culture, late 90s, black culture really hated gay culture still does to an extent. Listen to DMX. I'm endlessly confused. Um, <laughs> he'll, you know, 
in one song he's talking about how he's not making up and holding hands with a, uh, a, a gay guy, uh, even if they squash their beef, and how he has no respects for the guys in jail who wear pumps and um, Kool-Aid for lipstick. I think he calls them chumps. I don't remember what he calls them. Then in the same song, he goes, you can hold my D while he's sucking it. Like it's, it's confusing. It's really confusing. But it seemed to me that African-American culture, and, and, and it's been prevalent. People have talked about that. Had a real issue with gay culture. And by this time, we'd had Pedro on. And I say Pedro because that's the first real... Like you've seen gay characters in movies, and like, uh, what's his name from um, Beverly Hills Cop, and and then the dude from Manic, and like, you know, I always perceived them as being homosexuals, and but you know, it's just funny. It's funny characters, um, you know, almost probably like African Americans when they f were first brought into to entertainment, only allowed to be amusing, you know, like Mammy or something like that, but. I noticed this severe hatred between blacks and gays. And I, I made that statement. My grandpa said, remember how we talked about poor blacks and poor whites? And I said, yeah. He said, well, if poor blacks and poor whites got together, they could change how people voted and how things were done in America. And that scares rich people. He said, but if poor blacks and poor whites and queers, you know, I mean, that's what he called them. I mean, that was his, that was his, like, fag. We used to say that all the time, not necessarily derogatory. It's just, that's what you called a gay man. That's a fag. But he said, if you add that into the mix, imagine what else you change. And he said, churches and politicians always been against blacks and whites marrying. Churches and politicians are against gays marrying and women marrying. Because I think that was a weird thing in the beginning. Women weren't, lesbians weren't considered gay. I think like some dudes just found it hot and they were like, oh, well, yeah, it's, it's not gay. That's, that's the women. But you know, he was right. Those two groups, politicians and churches, they, you know, churches stayed segregated. Not out of being forced, but out of preference after civil rights, a lot of them. Not all of them, but a lot of them. Still to this day, you'll find black churches, just like you did in slave days and, 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 and before the 60s. I don't think there's necessarily racism there. It's just their culture and their community. But the last two groups to change on either one of those things, racism or homosexuality, it's been politicians and preachers. My grandpa said, now, it's scary enough to politicians and preachers if blacks and whites got close. Because you'd hear real racist preachers talking about that's inbreeding, and, or, or not inbreeding, that's um, 
whatever they called it, uh, race trading and, and, and diluting white and black population. They had a reason for every bit of it. He said, that's scary to them, real scary to them. Then you throw in people that, because in my grandpa's opinion at that time, gay people couldn't be religious. He said, then you throw in people like gay people that's not religious, and you mix them in with those whites and those blacks. Well, you ain't got lifelong politicians and churches to start paying taxes. He said, and that's two things that they'll go to war for they'll ever let happen. And I think he's right. I think it's important to keep those communities from uniting. I think it's still important to keep those communities from uniting. I'd love to see churches pay taxes. And I'd love to see politicians have to vote on things that affect us politically. One belief that my grandpa and I shared vehemently, and we were both vehemently against church and state being one. We both very much agreed with the separation of church and state, and I still do. Marriage has no right to be governed by the government. Marriage belongs to the church. The word itself belongs to the church. We covered this in a talk junkie a long time ago. Give it to them. I consider myself to be in a union with my wife, a government union, and the only reason that matters is for government aid and, and things of that nature. That's it. There's no other purpose, no other value to me. I, I, I didn't want to get married. I, the, the act of marriage, and, and it's okay if you do want that, but the point is, should be that choice. Gay marriage should never, the church's view on gay marriage should not impact the government's view on gay marriage. And it clearly has to if the government had to wait to 2013 to approve it in a state. That should tell you something. But my grandpa taught me a lot of things. I mean, to not hate people because somebody else tells me I need to hate those people. That if a bunch of people tell me I need to hate somebody, then I need to question why. And maybe I'm being misled. If I got 10 people telling me I shouldn't trust millions of people, maybe I need to question those 10 people. Maybe they're right, I don't know. And he taught me that Poor people have more in common than black people have in common with black people and white people have in common with white people. At the end of the day, we're all human. Some of us are poor and some of us aren't. And that the only way a corrupt system can maintain control is by keeping separate the groups of people who could unite and stop them. I miss him a lot. We didn't agree on everything. He was backwards on some of his beliefs. But he's pretty damn progressive on others. And at the end of the day, whether I agree or disagree with anything that he ever taught me, I find a lot of value in the things that he taught me. They definitely impacted who I am today.